It's been said that good literature changes us. That statement is never truer than when referring to the Bible. Welcome to episode 33 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. When we were last together, we looked at some of the aspects of Scripture that allow us to believe it to be the actual inspired words of God. George has referred to this as the technical approach. Today, we want to move into how we should be responding to Scripture. How do we read it? How do we respond to passages that bother us? What do we do when Scripture passages send up a red flag? And how do we glorify the God of Scripture as we interface with Scripture? A lot to cover today. Let's get to it. Here's George. Last time we looked at the reliability of the Bible in what I might call a technical sense. The reliability of the manuscripts that we have, their consistency through the ages, their assembly into the scriptures that we have today. And we concluded that there are good, solid reasons technically and even theologically, to believe that what we have is what the authors of Scripture wrote. This time, what I would like to do is think about how to see the Bible, not in a technical sense, but rather how to understand what it is for us in our lives, its authority, if you would. And here's a simple three-step way of dealing with the authority of the Bible. First, It was and is God's intentional and serious teaching about restoring and maintaining a relationship between us and him. He was intentional and serious in causing all of Scripture to be written. He was intentional and serious in the historical process of many minds and hearts who discerned what was to be a part of Scripture and what did not rise to that level. This doesn't mean that some of the other books written in New Testament times, or even in modern times, aren't true, or don't contain valuable insights into God's character. The Epistles of Clement, a very early document, Augustine's Confessions, and Mere Christianity are all shining examples, but they don't rise to the level of the canon of Scripture. The Bible stands alone in both form and content. There isn't anything else like it, even among the most profound scriptural texts. Second, it does God and us a disservice to pick verses out of context and build belief systems on them. We need the whole counsel of God in Scripture, and we need it in order to understand any verse truly and fully. That means that we need to take the whole of Scripture seriously. We should not read it with a razor blade. Thomas Jefferson is an example of this. He made his own version of the Bible by cutting out every verse he didn't like or agree with, and then pasting together the ones that remained. As smart as Jefferson was, I don't think that was his best idea. God was serious in the creation of Scripture. We need to be serious in its absorption. If a particular verse or part of the Bible offends me, rather than skip it or declare loudly that I disagree, I should consider it instead a red flag 
indicating that there is something I don't understand yet and that God wants me to understand. I should dig deeper rather than run away or cut it out. This may seem counterintuitive to some, but it will yield great rewards. Press in rather than flee. Third, don't be intimidated by either those who reject the Bible or those who insist you aren't a Christian if you do not take it literally. Rejecting the Bible completely, saying it's just a creation of another culture, we don't really need to pay attention to it, is misguided at best. Taking it literally makes nonsense out of its poetry, imagery, metaphor, and parables. It's equally misguided. Instead, take it seriously. It is reliable, and it contains all things necessary for salvation. And Now let's consider another important term in the life of the church, infallibility. I know you've heard that word. Infallible means incapable of error. Infallibility is a noun that refers to this asserted incapability to commit error. The Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches maintain that the Holy Spirit will not allow error in the church's teachings within ecumenical councils and in Roman Catholicism for certain declarations of the Pope, such as the Immaculate Conception of Mary and the Assumption of Mary and the teachings of the, quote, ordinary and universal magisterium, close quote. Without going into detail, It should be noted that this infallibility is asserted for 21 councils of the church, historical meetings over many centuries, mostly of bishops, which made doctrinal statements. It's asserted for 21 by the Roman Catholic Church, for seven by the Eastern Orthodox Church, and for the Christological statements of the first seven of these councils, by some Protestants. And a reader will search in vain for the Christological statement in the Seventh Council because it's in a footnote. These conflicting claims of infallibility cannot all be true. So how can we see these great councils of the church? I don't want to dismiss them. These councils met almost universally long before there even were Protestants. And so, though Protestants might have an issue with the asserted infallibility of these councils, nevertheless, the councils constitute real historical content for Protestants. And in fact, I believe the teachings of the church and the councils can be taken with great gravity even by Protestants, without imposing upon them either the idol or the onus of infallibility. All of Scripture and all of the counsels and teachings of the Church stand under the covering authority of the two great commandments, and so must we. 
those two great commandments came from the lips of Jesus, and he said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is, what Jesus says here is every word of Scripture, everything about our faith, belief, practice, doctrine, theology, church organization and polity, church teaching, authority, and our daily living in the world stands under the force, command, and the covering of these two great commandments. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They are the standard and the touchstone for all that we believe and do. Yet, what is true for many of us as Christians is that while we may believe that all the law and the prophets stand under those two commandments, we don't think we have to. Particularly, if we feel threatened by doctrine, practice, organization, theology, people, or other religions. Then, it is okay to behave with sarcasm, with bitterness, with anger toward our enemies, attacking them, belittling them, caricaturing them, putting them down, treating them as less than worthy of the love which Jesus commanded. But we are not exempt. We, too, like the law and the prophets, must stand under those two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When Jesus was asked to illustrate the meaning of these two commandments, he gave the illustration of the Good Samaritan, the one who came along and helped the injured Jew, wounded and in a gutter, helped someone that normally he would have hated who was his enemy. That is the kind of love Jesus commands of us in all places at all times. And if we believe the scriptures and the church have authority in our lives, there is no other option. We are not exempt from these commands, even in defending what we believe, even in affirming our doctrine and our practice and our theology. We must do it in a way which submits itself humbly to the two great commandments, to love God and to love others. Thanks, George. Well, it should come as no surprise that once you establish the authenticity of God's Word, there's likely to be things in that Word that will challenge us. The two commands George has just been reviewing most certainly qualify. We'll be back with more after this quick break. <laughs> 